everybody, welcome to episode four of the Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Rappel, and with me is SCG leaderboard mainstay, Collins Mullen. Good to be back. So you're relatively freshly back from SCG Atlanta. I guess I guess we record this in the middle of the week, so it's a couple of days ago, but you were just at SCG Atlanta, the team tournament, won by SCG super team of uh, Todd Stevens, <laughs> Tom Ross. The boss is back. The boss is back, and the boss has another boss deck. Yep, yeah, um, pretty standard stuff. Talking about Tom Ross, of course. Um, yeah, uh, it was a ton of fun. Um, team tournaments are just kind of the greatest. Uh, you know, it's 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 you know it's fun winning and losing on your own for sure, but when you're winning and losing with your friends, it just makes it that much better. So yeah, um, so, so so tell me about the weekend. How did it go for you? And and you were with Hunter Nance and, and Lucas Michaels. Yeah, right so I teamed with Hunter Nance and Lucas Michaels. Um, and this is the same team that I had at the last Star City Games team tournament, which we top aided. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, this tournament didn't go quite as well for us. Uh, we were off to a pretty bad start. Um, we won the first one and then lost the f- next two matches. Um, not great. Not one great. of which was to a teammate, um, Ralph Patesh, uh, defeated me. He was on. Um, Blue, red, Eldrazi in standard. Gotcha. Um, and the decks that we chose to play with this tournament were the same two modern and legacy decks as last time. We played Affinity in modern, and we played Grixis Delver in legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, standard changes a lot more frequently, so I'm not yeah, surprised no to see that uh, change. So I ended up playing uh, red, green, pummeler. Um, which, if you listen to our past podcast, you would not be surprised about. I was pretty high on that deck, and I'm still pretty high on that deck. Um, yeah, uh, a little rough against the the red, the blue red builds of of the emerge decks, just because they have so much removal, right? I mean, that's that's what I found playing it a little bit. Yeah, I um, I felt pretty behind. He was able to play a pretty effective tempo game uh, when I played against Ralph, um, and. Uh, there were in our game two. There were many turns where he was just like, "All right, well, I guess I'm dead to kind of anything," and he would pass to me, and I would draw another land and not be able to kill him or whatever. So, <laughs> uh, uh, they were close games for sure. Yeah, actually, I, I played that in the Magic Online PTQ and uh, started out four and zero, and then the wheels just kind of fell off a little bit after that. Yeah, and ended yeah. up five three and just barely squeaking into top thirty two. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, um, the deck felt really good for me, um, but I kind of, it was kind of struggling with me a little bit um, this past weekend. Just like a lot of the opening hands that I was looking at were not really what I was looking for. Um, but despite that, I think that I had I ended up with a pretty good record over the course of the weekend. Um, I played it in day one of the team tournament, and I also played it in the spoilers. Uh, my team did not make day two. <laughs> uh, I played it in the classic on Sunday. Um, so yeah, um, so the tournament, the team tournament for us day one, um, we started off one and two and we're feeling kind of disappointed, but then we continued to win the next, uh, I guess five matches straight. So then we were six and two going into the last round and we knew that a win would make us into day two and then a loss would kick us out. We were pretty sure a loss would kick us out. The, uh, 
it was kind of close uh, considering the size of the tournament. We didn't know if X3 or X2 was going to make top eight or uh, not top eight, but um, day, day two. two. Um, and we ended up losing in the final round. Um, uh, so, you know, a little unfortunate there, but um, that happens. Um, it came down to my match and uh, my opponent and I, my opponent was on uh, Teamer Energy, just kind of like the good old fashioned Teamer Energy build that we've seen for a while. Sure. Um, and I had boarded out all of my pummelers in this matchup because he's just playing a lot of cards that interact with my creatures. Like even his threats can kill creatures. Like um, we're talking about like Glorybringers and right. Chandra and all this stuff. And I just feel like being on the pummeler plan is just not what you really want to be doing there. You really want to be winning with like a um, a Hydra that they can't interact with or your Ronus or just like tireless tracker value. You just kind of want to grind them out. I do think you is keep in, a more Do you keep in flings doing. there or do you take oh, yeah. out? Okay. Flings are just part of the deck always, I feel right. like. And that's, <laughs> that's, you're, you're that's kind how of I like, felt too. Yeah, yeah. Even if you're boarding out the like the dedicated pump spells, pummelers, and stuff, you're still pretty much like an aggressively slanted deck. Even if you're trying to play more towards value, um, so just like giving yourself the opportunity to have a turn where you can like, you know, uh, they tap out for something and then you like blossoming defense, hit them for a bunch and then fling them. Like you still want that option to be on the table, right? Because blossoming defense and, and hydra never come out at a yes, minimum. Yes, right. So. right. Yeah, um, so uh, so yeah, um, my opener for game three in our win and end um, was very good. Uh, and my teammates had both finished at this point, and they were watching me play. And uh, my, my opener had three lands, two tireless trackers, and two harness lightnings. Yeah, pretty good for that matchup. It's just exactly what I wanted. So I was feeling really good about it. Um, and then we proceeded to never draw a fourth land. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so, yeah, a little bit of variance there, but, you know, um, the deck doesn't owe you anything. So um, uh, and that kind of ended our run in the tournament. Um, and then uh, that night, the big story about that night is that um, one one of the things that I had seen on day one, and I'm sure we're going to be talking more about this later, it was the... Um, uh, the new God Pharaoh's Gift, yeah, yeah, definitely. blue white deck, right? That played. What's the um, reanimate an artifact card? Uh, and now I'm trying to remember the name of the card. It's the card that makes the deck playable. Um, right. Yeah. It starts with an F. <laughs> so um, here, let me pull it up. Yeah. Uh, refurbish. Refurbish. It doesn't start with an F. Excellent. It has an F um, in it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I had seen that deck. Somebody was playing kind of like a casual game with that deck against John Rossum on a blue white monument that he's been playing and winning a lot with. Um, and they're just kind of playing a casual game off to the side. It looked like a friend of his. And um, I just started kind of casually watching this game, and John Rossum had an Ormondal in play. And was just beating this guy down. I was like, okay, this game's over. But then this guy cast Refurbish and brought back a uh, the Angel of Inventions, and he made it a six six six, six lifelink. Yep. And then all of a sudden, this guy had 
two God Pharaoh's gifts in play. <laughs> right, it's not legendary. Back her in it. It, it, I, yeah. I assumed that card was legendary, and then I've seen multiples in play, and it, it's not legendary. Right. And then all of a sudden, um, John Rossum has to hold his Ormondal that's been tacking for like five turns back on defense. Mm-hmm. Yep. And this guy's <laughs> refurbishing back and um, God gifting back uh, um, the white gear hulk. And I'm just like, what is going on? What what am I witnessing right now? <laughs> uh, and this guy goes on to just like grind down uh, John Rossum on his blue-white monument deck, which I believed to have the most powerful late game in standard right now. Mm-hmm. So I was like, what is this deck? And I later find out that this deck had just won the Magic Online PTQ. It was a refurbish God Pharaoh's Gift kind of reanimator shell. Um, playing um, uh, all these inquiries. Uh, yeah, all these like weird cards, like Minister of Inquiries, Mausoleum Wanderers, um, Three of Inspectors, and uh, I was like, wow. And Angel of Inventions was kind of the card that I think that people found that really pushed this deck over the edge. Yeah, I think being able to get the Godfarer's Gift into play and immediately attack for six lifelink is is the reason the deck is good. Um, yeah, and and that refurbish like I've seen Godfarer's gifts decks before, but they've been like these really bad Sultai ones with a bunch of cycling in them, um, and and they just don't have a a dimension that makes it make sense as like okay, this is why we put this Godfarer's gift into play. This is what's happening now. But Angel of Invention is just such a like attack for six lifelink, and then if you got another one in your graveyard, the next turn you attack for the fourteen, and that's twenty damage. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. Card is very good in this deck and, and makes it function. I think, as well. Um, as yeah. The so the deck seemed very strong for sure. So I immediately like went through my collection that night. This is Saturday night, getting ready for the Sunday standard classic. Um, and I pulled out all the cards I owned from that deck. <laughs> and I the next morning went to the booth, the dealer booth, and was like, all right, I want all these cards. And they're like, yep, we're sold out of all of these cards. <laughs> Somebody must have had a similar idea as you. Um, right. So I clearly wasn't the only person looking at this deck. Um, and uh, and th- like Angel of Inventions was like one of the cards that none of the vendors were kind of expecting to be popular. So they didn't bring that many. Sure. And I'm assuming like either the night before or earlier that morning before I got there, people just swept them up. Um, cause there were just none of these cards anywhere. Um, <laughs> so I ended up playing Pummeler in the classic, which I wasn't terribly disappointed about. Um, but it's kind of fun, you know, to play like a, a really new, exciting deck in yeah. a tournament before people really know about it. Um, and if you're, uh, if you can have your opponents needing to read your cards, that's a pretty good feeling. Right, right, right. Yeah. And you're very comfortable with, you know, what you're playing with or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that was kind of like an interesting story of um, of the weekend. It was that deck popping up on the Moto PTQ and then immediately it being sold out. And I also saw on Twitter um, people were running into the same problem like in uh, – um, uh, where are they? In uh, Japan hmm. um, for the Pro Tour. <laughs> so talking about Pro Tour predictions, um, you might be seeing some refurbishes. Yeah, yeah. I, I have heard, and we'll talk about this a little more 
Uh, I mean, we're going to do a metagame update, and maybe we should just kind of transition into that. But uh, I, sure. I have been hearing some people saying that like playing it online now, it's already feeling like people are adjusting to it. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's mostly a matter of uh, going a little harder on a braids over other removal that you might have been running in your deck. And right, right, right. That, you know, Crook of Condemnation is kind of a real card now between the Emerge decks and the God Pharaoh's Gifts decks. So yeah. I'd, it's it's kind of interesting to see how those adaptations, or, you know, because this deck becomes very weak if you can just remove their graveyard at will. Then they, they yes. really can't yeah. do anything. That's very true, for sure. Um, yeah, and Crook just kind of, like, shuts it down entirely. So um, if people are prepared for it, I think that... Um, it would be definitely less good, but um, it, I think that at least for like the uh, the PTQ that it won, it must have just been an excellent choice for that tournament. Um, because the other thing that I heard is that that deck really crushes the mono red decks, which are like the other like mono red might be the deck to beat right now. I, yeah, um, I think it so, is. Uh, and um, I, yeah, I don't know. I have also seen builds of this deck with Sacred Cats in it, which, if you really uh, want to crush Mono Red, I think that that would be... Play some Sacred Cats. Yeah, yeah. play some Sacred Cats, bring them back for as sure. four-fours, and, and go to town. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I guess some, some more thoughts on the Star City Games Atlanta tournament weekend. Um, our team had another pretty good showing. Uh, Zan with uh, the Longs made top eight again. Yep. Uh, same, so same standard. Deck. Huge congrats to Zan on back-to-back top eights for opens. Um, that man is just a master. So yeah, especially playing uh, and, a deck that I, you know, I I personally would not have chosen for the tournament. I mean, emerge in general. I'm not saying his yeah, build well, was bad yeah, or anything. Yeah, I mean that's kind of the thing is that that deck is just impossible to play. So yes. Zan <laughs> must be just insane to be able to pilot that deck to back-to-back open top eights. So um, yeah, and he had some help with, from the longs or and stuff, but. Um, yeah, huge congrats to him. Um, uh, Jonathan Rossum, my other teammate, uh, made second place once again at the Standard Classic. Um, last time it was the Standard Open that he made the second place in, but he continues to dominate pretty hard with that deck. Playing um, pretty much the same 75 in Blue White Monument. He tweaked his sideboard just a little bit. Yeah. Um, just because now he had you know that much more knowledge about what was going on in the format and about his deck and stuff, um, but it's pretty much the same. Um, he's just that deck is very powerful and he's very good with it, so I'm not surprised to see him doing well. Yep. Um, I I ended up in the classic losing the first round, as I standard. Is I as I like to do apparently, and then winning every all of the other rounds to be X one in the last round, um, in position to draw into top eight. However, uh, because I lost the first round, my breakers were the worst. I got pared down, lost the last round, and finished up thirteenth. Um, so definitely not sad about it, but um, you know, a little disappointing. Uh, I feel like you're perspective of the tournament is always kind of dependent on you know the last couple of rounds or whatever and it always kind of hurts a little bit to lose the last round right. um, but, even though you, you did know, end up top 16 yeah oh yeah for sure definitely definitely happy about the result um happy with you know winning out after losing the first round to be in a good spot um so there's that um but yeah uh, my 
my other teammate um, who's not on Lotus Box but is um, uh, was on my actual team for the Open, uh, Lucas Michaels, made top eight of the uh, Modern Classic with Affinity. Um, so another kudos to him for that. Um, yeah, he definitely. Did, did definitely. pretty well. Big congrats to Lucas Michaels. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, that's kind of a little bit of a recap of my weekend. Um, definitely a lot of fun. Um, it's always a blast, kind of going to uh, to team events. Uh, got to see everybody again. Um, yeah. Awesome. So that's that's kind of the cool thing. You know, you you've got your team that you test with over you know Google Hangouts and Magic Online. But then when you go to these tournaments, not only do you get to play in the tournament, but but you get to actually hang out with your team in person, which which you wouldn't get to do otherwise. So. Oh yeah, no. It's it's probably my favorite part of these weekends is just seeing everybody. Yeah. Um, no, I'm I'm with I'm with an excellent group of guys who just a blast to be around. So um, definitely a lot of fun. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, so we we kind of avoided talking about the actual like meta games that have emerged in these tournaments because that's that's you know we just wanted to talk about the tournament itself and now we're gonna you know up, do yeah. some little updates on. So we can on dive into it a little bit here for sure. Yeah. So do we want to, I guess we've been talking about standard, we want to keep talking about standard, and then just a couple of words about modern, because it moves a lot more slowly? Um, yeah, let's, yeah, why don't we go ahead and keep talking about standard? Yeah. Um, definitely, I feel like the biggest wear out of the weekend was um, probably mono red. Uh, if, we're, if we're just looking at, like, pure number of results for the weekend, yeah. Um, Mono Red, I think, put in what three? Three of the top eight decks of the Open were Mono Red. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Tom Ross and Jim Davis played a Mono Red Mirror in the finals right. <laughs> um, of this team Open. And you know, granted, it is a team Open, so right. Um, so we got to take these results with a little bit, for, you know, a little bit of a grain of salt. But um, Mono Red also won the Classic, uh, defeating John Rossum in the finals of the Classic. Yep. Um, and just continued to put up great results over the course of the weekend on Magic Online. Yeah, it's always in the 5-0s. Um, it did well in the PTQ. It, it just is there. I think I, I think the format is still a little bit underprepared for the deck, even though it's present. I, I think it's one of those decks that you, you know, you put your 75 cards together and you think, like, I'll throw in these cards for Mono Red, and I think my matchup is, is just fine. And then it turns out that it's... It's not because the deck is fast and resilient, and 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 you got to draw those pieces if you want a shot. Yeah, <laughs> you know? and and a lot um, of the pieces that people are playing, I don't think are actually that good. Like a lot of people are throwing a couple of Ether Sphere Harvesters in their deck and calling it a day. But I think the best builds of Mono Red have access to several abrades after board. So, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I definitely considered putting some Aethersphere Harvesters in my deck for the tournament. Um, mm -hmm. Ended up deciding against it, kind of for the reason of the Abrade, is that, yeah. like, yeah, if this lives, I'm probably going to be able to take over the game, but if I am playing against Mono Red and I play this three-mana thing and then I tap my other creature to crew it to block or attack or whatever, and then it just dies, I'm so far behind, right? So... Um, you got to really watch out for that, you know. But I think there are plenty um, of So I, honestly, I'm not sure Yeah, go I, ahead. I think there just there are plenty of powerful cards and and you know, builds that you can choose to employ against the mono red deck. I, I think they're just 
you know, we're seeing the success of the the God Pharaoh deck, I think heavily based upon its access to like fast, big lifelink attacks. Uh, yes, yeah. As soon as they are able to land their 6-6 uh, Vigilant lifelink flyer with haste, or whatever you know, yeah. uh, it's pretty much over for the Mono Red deck. You know, they just can't, they just can't beat that, and no, that can come out as soon as turn four, um, with the with this um, Reverbish deck. Yep. And you can you can at least threaten it. So even if they do have the abrade, it's it, it's very awkward for them at that point. You know, if you mill, if you manage to get a gift and a uh, an angel in your graveyard, or even a sacred cat, if that's your build then they have a, even if they do have the abrade, they've, they've kind of got to hold it up because they lose on the spot if you put that gift into play and start gaining life. Right, right, for sure, yeah. And, you know, if, if you're playing a game where the mono red deck has to hold up two mana per turn and yeah. you can just not play your thing, then, like, you know, you're, you're definitely going to be in a good spot from there on, for sure. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. Um, and just kind of going through the other standard decks that we saw over the course of the weekend um some green red ramp by andrew hollingsworth yeah kind of uh, finally showing up yeah um yeah i i had the pleasure of talking to andrew um over the course of the tournament uh we actually played a couple games of love letter together which was very fun <laughs> um he's a cool guy um he uh yeah he brought a build of green red ramp to the top eight um kind of good to see that deck doing well um his, his build, he was playing Oath of Nisses and Natural Connection, which was kind of interesting. Uh, Natural Connection is the instant speed, three mana, um, rampant, rampant growth. growth from, from Zendikar. Uh, yeah. And he was playing three Walking Blisses in his deck. So definitely a uh, an interesting build here, um, which I kind of like. Um, he's got three Kozlex Return in the main, three Walking Blista in the main, four braids in the main um so definitely kind of doing what we were talking about last time of just like playing a lot of interaction and a little bit of ramp um and then you know just kind of closing the game out with a little mug right he's not working that hard to ramp like he, he does have six you know rampant growths they're all three yes. mana ones you know right and, and i think natural connection is actually kind of sweet in there because he does have instant speed removal spells in a braid and Kozilek's return. So if he's got to use yeah, them, right. he will. If he doesn't, then he's he's got something to do. And that's kind of cool. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I kind of like where the direction that the ramp deck's going with here. Um, uh, and then we also had um, a teamer energy build that looked pretty stock for the most part. Um, he was playing some Deep Fiends. Um, I think that's kind of like the option that you have with the teamer build is whether or not you want to play Deep Fiends or um, more uh, of the Dragon. Yeah, more Glorybringers. Uh, yeah, more Fives, yep. basically. Right, right. Um, uh, some some Mardu slash Esper Aggro decks with Heart of Kirins. Um, Kevin Jones made top eight with Esper Aggro. Um, There's another Mardu Vehicles deck in top eight. Um, and then, of course... Uh, Zan on his uh, four color emerge brew, <laughs> just, <laughs> just still keeps doing on it. crushing people with that deck. <laughs> um, still doing it. The deck list hasn't really changed too much. Um, he switched out. I think one of the bigger changes was he, was he switched out um, Bantu's last 
um, reckoning for three Yeni's ex- expertise, which I think was an excellent change. I think yeah. that the Bantus um, out of the sideboard were just pretty bad, honestly. So Every time uh, I saw him holding one on camera, I, I think he was <laughs> just like looking at it and realizing he could not cast it. So Right, 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 right. Um, yeah, and then he also changed up the mana base a little bit, and this was something that we were talking about a lot um, over the course of the week was that he really wanted some sunken hollows in his deck, and um, he ended up putting those in there, and he said that his mana base this weekend was just much better. So if you're looking to play this four-color merge deck, um, definitely take a look at the updated list. Um, I think it's it's very solid now, for sure. Great. Yeah. Cool. Um, one thing that I have seen a little bit of, uh, and there was one in the top eight of the Magic Online PTQ. So this is this is a way of attacking the format that, that I've been thinking of, but hadn't really um, hadn't really figured out a way to work it out. Uh, so we're starting to see these like red black mid-range decks a little bit, which I think are are attacking the format from a pretty good place. Uh, and, and a lot of the power comes from the versatility of Doomfall. So that's the the two and a black sorcery that can either exile, look at their hand and exile a card from it, or it's a an edict, but they exile the creature. Um, yeah. Which, when combined with uh, Goblin Dark Dwellers, really just gives you a big range of things you can do to your opponent. Um, but I and I, I like that interaction a lot, and I thought that that sort of the red black removal heavy deck with some mid rangey card advantagey threats. Uh, could be a powerful thing to do in this format, especially given how good Liliana the Last Hope is against Mono Red and even against like the Monument decks. But I, I, I kept like brainstorming and not coming up with a way to to draw cards effectively, basically. Uh, and what's what's come out now from some of these lists is. Uh, Putting it, and basically, I, I was thinking, man, I really wish that something like Glint Sleeve Siphoner could work in this deck. And lo and behold, it apparently works in the deck. Uh, so a <laughs> nice. bunch of these lists just have four Glint Sleeve Siphoners and a couple of Live Fasts in them, which sounds yeah. insane, but it gives you the two energy for the Siphoner, so it kind of right. is a painful truce so that you can also get back with your uh, Goblin Dark Dwellers if you need to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's, I'm, I'm that's pretty. Yeah. It's, it's a very important interaction. Like that, there's a reason you can't run painful truths like splash blue off of either hub in this deck or something. If you're running three goblin dark dwellers, you need to be able to flash back your card draw spell. So, yeah. the list that I've seen sort of go back and forth on how many dark dwellers versus how many glory bringers they have. But the rest of the deck is pretty standard. It's like three Chandras, four Liliana the Last Hope, three Kalidas, a bunch of removal spells, including several Doomfalls. Um, and I, I think the Kalidas's are in a really good spot right now. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a pretty simple deck, but kind of all of the cards in it match up pretty well against the format at large. You can run as many abrades as you want, depending on what you think your, your meta is going to be. So I think I'm, I'm definitely going to give this deck a shot for the, uh, Magic Online PTQ this weekend. Um, yeah, I, I think that it definitely has a spot in the metagame for sure. Um. Just, uh, it's kind of like doing the most, you know, card advantage Jundi stuff. Um, uh, and uh, it, it, it looks like it can definitely interact as well, like early and often, which is a huge plus against things like the mono-red aggro decks that are running around. Yeah. Um, 
I think like one of the one of the most uh, efficient ways that you can answer that deck is just to have the early pieces of interaction and not just kind of be dirtling around and trying to set up or whatever. Um, right. So and, and like even if you manage to gain a bunch of life or something, that's not that helpful if they've got five cards under a Bomac Courier. Like you've got problems right, right, you right, need to solve. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean that mono red deck can can grind out some damage. I mean. Uh, that's kind of like I think part of why it's having so much success is that like um, you know their lands turn into damage and um, they've got a certain number of like just burn spells for reach and stuff um, so uh, yeah like if they land a hazaret then you're just under an enormous amount of pressure that you almost just can't um, like stabilize around so if you're running like grasp of darkness you can just answer the Hazaret and not really have to worry about it, you know? Yep. And I've, I've been so impressed with, with Doomfall in particular, uh, playing against it, just putting creatures out. One of them's a Bristling Hydra. I'm, I'm looking at my hand and thinking, all right, you know, I just got to untap with this Bristling Hydra, and, and they're not they're not going to make it. And then they yeah. they kill my long and then they combat at a turn, <laughs> and then they Doomfall me, and that's it. Right, yeah. Always pretty brutal, for sure. Um. Yeah, I mean, Doomfall, I think that Doomfall has a, a lot of matchups where that card is just very clutch. Um, like, the the Pummeler deck, for one, and two, uh, the Ramp decks. Doomfall is just an all-star. Because if they if they are able to resolve their Ulamog, you can kill it with the Doomfall. Um, or, if you have their opportunity, you can take their Ulamog out of their hand yeah. uh, before they have an opportunity to cast it. And it's, so, it's nice to have... Flex have a split card so your removal spell is a spell that you can cast against the the blue red deck or or whatever control deck you're playing against so yes yeah yeah for sure um you know the the thoughtseize effect of that card uh is very strong in a lot of matchups as well for sure yeah so i think the the big takeaway is still just mono red like you've got to be prepared for it if, if you're going to a standard tournament you have to understand what your plan is and and be fast enough even game one to have a, a shot uh yes yeah um it's definitely gonna have to be on your radar i expect a pretty high percentage of the pro tour to be mono red yeah just based on the results that we've been seeing of, like, it's been doing well. Monterey also has a history of doing pretty well at Pro Tours in particular. Um, just not going to be surprised at all to see that. Maybe even just be the pop most popular archetype. Um, so. so so given that, I mean, do we have any, any Pro Tour predictions here? Um, yeah, so I think that... Um, Mono Red, if, I, if I'm going to have to choose the most popular deck to see, I think that I would probably look at Mono Red. Um, I also expect to see a lot of Monument. I think that this God Pharaohs, um, the blue-white God Pharaohs refurbished deck is on the pro's radar and I think very strong, particularly in its matchup against Mono Red. Um, so I think that we're definitely going to see a certain number of those as well. Um, and then kind of like a smattering of like the other decks. People, I think... Um, are going to want to feel comfortable with their deck choice, so they're probably going to see some teamer energy, some Mardu vehicles, stuff like that. Uh, sure. Just the decks that have established themselves as good archetypes. Um, and then uh, probably at least a couple Brutes. Um, <laughs> and, I would be very surprised in particular? If, I mean, I don't even know. Uh, like, 
uh, I think that uh, standard is w wide open enough right now that uh, I would not be surprised to see a team, uh, at least multiple teams, bringing their own unique archetype that we just haven't seen before. Yeah. Um, because, like, in the past, like, we've all kind of, like, gone into these Pro Tours kind of expecting that, yeah, people are just going to play Marvel or Mardu or whatever the established stuff is. But um, aside from Monored, I, I don't really think that anything is really established itself as just far and away better than everything else so far. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens. Yeah, and, and Monored is really fightable in a way that a, that, that Marvel or, or an Emrakul deck or something just yes. isn't. Right. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, any of the brews that I think that we're going to see at Pro Tour will have a very solid plan against Monored. Yeah. Um, so, you know, w I, while I believe that Monored is going to be very popular at this tournament, I think that it might not have the success that people will want it to just because of the knowledge that all the pros have about that deck, is that no one is going to be going to that tournament without a very solid plan against that deck in particular. Sure. And it's probably going to do still okay. Oh yeah, for sure. It's just going to be one of those things where there are enough of them that no matter what the plan that your opponent has, like some of them are going to have good records. So, And maybe uh, even sweet, that's my prediction. sweet uh, plans against that plan. I, I've really liked... Um, you know, the, the Jim Davis build of Mono Red, where just sort of every every game two, he goes bigger after board. I, I think he takes out the yeah, village yeah. messengers and brings in some glory bringers and stuff. Uh, and and I think that's a solid plan. And, and so, we'll, yeah. you know, that the deck has the ability to adapt, which makes it very powerful. Yeah, I, and I think that that just kind of, like, demonstrates the resiliency that Tier 1 decks can have nowadays, is that, like, people know what the best angle of attack of their own deck is going to be, and they're just very willing to adapt to that. Like, we see that a lot with the Mardu decks, is that, you know, um, people know that, you know, the people are going to try to be attacking Mardu vehicles in a very specific way. So you just board into this, like, Planeswalker control deck. Right. It's just very different than the, the pre-board deck that they have. Yeah, it's, and it's, I think that a similar concept is there for Mono Red for sure. Right, and it's not a matter of bringing in, oh, these are my sideboard cards. Like I am sideboarding these against this deck. It's you're you're really changing how the deck plays out because that strategy is a better strategy rather than individual cards. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, and I think that's just a really important note about standard in general right now is that um, I think that if you want to have success in standard. Um, the most important thing to know is what your game plan looks like and how it matches up against your opponent's game plan. Mm -hmm. um, and like, if we just take the Pummeler deck, for instance, um, as an example, um, uh, there were a lot of times where I would board out all of my Pummeler pieces and board into kind of a suboptimal... Uh, deck that kind of looks like the teamer energy deck where i'm just playing like tireless trackers and beat down creatures and all this other stuff and it's kind of weird to like look at that in an abstract and say hey i mean if that's going to be your plan in a lot of matchups why aren't you just playing that deck just like a red green value deck or whatever but that's less important than recognizing that i'm playing this value deck in the matchups where playing a value deck like that is very good right so um, like in the matchups where the team, the, the pummeler strategy is very important. Um, 
I get to keep all, I, I'm at liberty to keep all those stuff in. And those matchups kind of look like, um, you know, zombies where you want to punch through or ramp where you just want to kill them as quickly as possible or whatever. But like in, in the removal spell heavy matchups, like blue, red control or the black, red um, uh, deck that you were talking about, um, like, you know, it doesn't matter that the value strategy that you're boarding into isn't as good as it potentially could be in a vacuum. It just matters that your matchup in particular is matching up well uh, against all of their one-for-one removal stuff. Right. Um, and, and that's one thing. I, I did that a lot, you know, when I was playing in the PTQ and when I was playing a league to, to prepare for it. I, I feel like I may have over-employed that strategy a little bit. Um I mean, blue-red felt really bad. Just just felt really bad. Uh, but, but a lot of times I, I felt like I would do that, and then I would just have these hands where like I, they'd look good, I'd have sideboard cards, and I'd, I'd play a tireless tracker and a land, and then it would die, and I'd crack the clue, and like yes, I would be up one card, but then I was no longer doing a thing as powerful as I needed to do in that matchup. Uh, I think part of the problem was also against the removal decks. I, I I drew very few blossoming defenses, and it was really tough for me to defend my important things. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so yeah, definitely an interesting thing that I, I like thought that I understood, but then ended up not as comfortable with as as I was mm-hmm. going in. I think it was probably the right thing, and just like some of the draws didn't line up, and I made a couple of misplays uh, that that definitely cost me matches so you know could easily just have been the right thing to do yeah i i think that um yeah i mean i I definitely think that pulling that strategy is the right thing most of the time um especially like i played against in the eight round standard tournament i played against blue red control four times um yeah and i beat it every time uh because uh, i was just able to really lean on the cards that mattered a lot like um, the, the Hydra, the Blossoming Defenses were very clutch for me. Um, uh, just like understanding how the games play out post board and, and what's important and all that stuff. Um, I felt like the matchup was very good for me. Um, and I, I was able to, uh, take a clean sweep in those four matches. Um, see, I think I've only so. played against it twice, uh, and and my opponent's cards have just lined up like very very nicely each time. Right. So that that you know that could easily just be small sample size bias here. Um, yeah, and but I think that it's pretty hard to. Uh, I think that I might have an advantage by it because like I know there are definitely a lot of weird things that you have to do. Um, like there was a hand that I looked at where I had I don't know were you running any prowling serpapods in your tech? I was my my sideboard ended up with I think three trackers and three server pods in the sideboard yeah yeah i I was expecting a lot of blue red um i ended up with four trackers and two server pods okay but um i was looking at a hand and it had um a tireless tracker a server pod and a blossoming defense and lands Mm -hmm. and i was on the draw and i played my third land and i was like all right i could slam my server pod here um but if it just gets abraded, and then you my opponent can untap, and then counter my tracker, then that's just really bad for me. Sure. So I ended up playing my third land, passing the turn, and then playing my fourth land, playing the Serpapod, 
it can't be countered. He tried to kill it. I blossoming defensed it, and then I untapped and I played my tracker and then my fifth land, and yeah. then he abraded the tracker. But at that point, I had the Superbots in, still in play, and I was up a card off of the thing. So, like, there are definitely a lot of, like, weird plays you have to make against the control decks, sure. where um, it, it felt super strange to not slam my Superbot on turn three, because it's uncountable or whatever. But I think that it was just so correct, because the Superbot uh, Blossoming Defense combo against that deck is just so strong. Um, that uh, I was just able to, like, my opponent had all the answers, right? He had the blossoming defense, he had, or, I'm sorry, he had the uh, he had the removal spell for my server pod and the counter spell for my tracker. Um, but because I was able to, uh, like, be patient with it and sequence things in a certain way that made his answers, like, kind of the ideal hand that I envisioned him having mm -hmm. line up poorly, um, I, I was able to sculpt that game in a way that put him on the back foot. Yeah, so I definitely. think that it's definitely hard to like do all that stuff properly, but um, uh, you can definitely get there for sure. And and I think where I was struggling a little bit was uh, figuring out how long to wait to draw the blossoming defenses before doing something like that. Because um, mm -hmm. most of my hands did not have the the blossoming defense available, which made the like figuring out when to do things a lot harder. Uh, True. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, the games with Blossoming Defense and the games without Blossoming Defense are definitely very different, yeah. right? Because uh, the Blossoming Defense also, like, it almost translates into, like, 12 damage sometimes. Like, uh, you resolve your 2-drop or whatever, and then they try to kill it on their turn to... Um, like, if they're if they're good, then they'll kill it on their turn. But if they just, like, pass the turn and you, like, hit them and then pass back whatever and they braid it and you... Blossoming defense it, and then and you get to hit them again. It just turns into so much damage that um, right because they can really makes closing out the game so much easier. They, I guess. they tend to only be able to deal with one threat at a one threat per turn. Is is just how their mana costs line up. Like yes, they, they right. can't kill a creature and also uh, supreme uh, supreme will. That's the the split the blue split card. Um, yeah, you know they yeah, can't yeah. do that. They can't do Until both like, of those five. things on turn four. So right, yeah. Um, yeah, and I've been, you know, I've been playing like these weird creature aggro decks against control decks for a while. So I think that I, I have a good understanding of like, you know, all the stuff that you're supposed to do from the creature side of it. Sure. I may need to have you bird me playing a couple of matches <laughs> and, and tell me for if, sure. what yeah, I'm yeah. doing wrong. Um, yeah, I'm in. Sounds cool. good. Cool. Um, so, I mean, that's standard. I got off on a little tangent. I mean, Pummeler is super fun to play. I would definitely suggest anybody who who's thinking about it to, to give it a shot because it. I think it is good, well-placed right now in Standard 2. I, I definitely agree with you. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that covers my predictions or whatever for um, the Pro Tour and just kind of like where I see Standard going forward. Um, I, after this tournament, have shifted gears entirely away from standard. Mm -hmm. So there might be a couple of things that have popped up in the past couple of days that I've missed. Um, uh, like, I, I was really looking forward to testing this Godfarer's Gift refurbished deck, but I just haven't at all because I've been focusing a lot on modern. As soon as I got home from the tournament, I... Uh, queued up some Grixis Death Shadow, threw some Claim to Fames in there, and sure. was ready to battle. <laughs> yeah, so how did that feel? Um, claim, 
I've been very unimpressed with. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think that Claim has a lot of matchups where uh, it's very good, like the mid-rangey mirrors where things are grinding out and going really long and your graveyard fills up naturally. Yeah. Um, but I just can't see that deck, that card being in the main deck because um, there are also a lot of matchups where the card is just kind of almost unplayable, where your your threats aren't dying and you're just really trying to kill your opponent as fast as possible because they're either playing the combo deck or mm. they're racing you effectively or whatever. Okay. So, right, uh, and it's really bad against those green, you know, creature collected company kind of decks. Which yes, right, it's just not what you want. So I think that, and looking at the modern deck lists from this past weekend, um, I was looking at all of the Grixis Shadow decks that top eight at the team open, mm-hmm. which there were I think three, only one of those. Four, four of them actually. Oh, four of them, really? Yeah. yeah. Um, but of all the lists that I looked at, uh, only one of them had one claim in the sideboard. Okay. So it's definitely not really what people are looking into for the future of Grixis. Um, yeah. At least for the time being. And that's kind of what I was thinking the first time we thought about it. Like, clearly a potentially powerful card, but it doesn't mm-hmm. really, like, patch any of the holes. It doesn't deal with any of the stuff you were losing to already, so... Right. It's just like another like semi-grindy value card that you have access to later um, to just like be able to have in your graveyard to flash back with the Snapcaster Mage or like, you know, an extra snap or whatever if that's just been in your graveyard. Um, but like, yeah, in the matchups that the graveyard isn't really filling up naturally, um, it's just almost unplayable. Gotcha. Um, and this is not what you want to have in your main deck. Um, for modern in particular. Well, so that makes sense. That's a little disappointing, but maybe yeah. for the best. Um, yeah, um, you know, uh, it's always fun to get excited about cards and stuff. But testing with it this week, pretty pretty underwhelmed. Yeah. Um, I think that I'll continue maybe having one in my sideboard moving forward, but um, maybe not even. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, and then the other decks I've been testing with have been uh, I queued up Burn for a couple of leagues. Yeah. Um, just because I I keep on seeing it pop up in Modern, um, despite me not really thinking that it's positioned very well, um, and but it just keeps on putting up results, right? Like mm-hmm. it, there was one Burn player in the top four of the um, team open. Um, There's another one in the top and, eight. Yeah. It's, uh, it keeps on popping up on 5-0 deck lists and stuff. Yeah, but, and you, you uh, almost uh, never have a top 8 without one burn deck in it. I mean, it's right. just yeah. there. And I, I've, I've played a lot of burn in the past in modern. Um, I think that was like the first modern deck that I really put a lot of reps into. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I love me some burn. Um, but uh, whenever I play it, I, I just keep on getting reminded about like... <laughs> I'm looking at all these bad matchups and I'm going, okay, you know, uh, maybe this just isn't, I'm, I'm reminding myself why I have not been playing Burn for a while. Right. Um, Can't cast any of these spells cool. against Death Shadow. Getting, yeah, like the, the Death Shadow decks are like not good matchups in my mind um, from the Burn perspective. And uh, and just like a ton, of, a ton of the decks that exist now are, seem like they have a pretty good game against it. So, um 
I queued it up just because I wanted to see again, but um, I think I'm probably not going to be paying too much attention to that in the future. Yeah. Um, and then the other deck that I've been testing a little bit with this week was um, uh, Scape Shift. Um, just the Titan Shift deck that we've been seeing a lot of lately. Right, just regular uh, old green-red, one plan, get yeah. lands in play. Just get some lands in play and then play a prime time or a Scape Shift and win the game. Yep. Um, you know, and uh, I've been pretty impressed with it so far. I think it's a very powerful deck. Um, it's It was much more difficult to pilot uh, than I was anticipating. Really? Maybe that's just because I was playing it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the modern decks that I've always kind of like respected as a definite quantity of modern that's just going to exist. But I, I never really... I always told myself that I wanted to pick it up and put some reps in with it, but I never really did. Sure. Um, so it's kind of the first time that I was playing with it, and I, I like looked at my opener, and I was like, all right, I, I have like four different lines on turn two and i wasn't anticipating <laughs> that in my ramp spells into win the game deck right you know so um like just like making sure that you sequence all your lands appropriately and um like even like late game when you need to sandbag a land for a lightning bolt or something sure. it was just uh, there were a ton of decisions that to be made with that deck that i kind of wasn't anticipating um so that was kind of cool um uh, and I've been playing a little bit with that um, just to kind of get a feel for it and see if maybe that's something I want to look into. Um, but, you know, sources are pointing towards Great Shadow still being just the deck that I that I want to be at. Yeah. So. It's hard, hard to argue against, although one strong argument against it, and we can't not talk about Todd Stevens's... Uh, Todd Stevens' value town. Yeah. Jeez, <laughs> value city. I mean, so yeah. so he's come up with some pretty sweet brews to wield in in a you know Death Shadow heavy meta game. You know, he he pushed uh, Eldrazi Tron with the very heavy main deck relics and and chalices and and caverns, and this is kind of you know just another pretty crazy like let's never lose to Death Shadow kind of kind of deck. <laughs> I think right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, so essentially he's playing a green-white collected company uh, value creature yeah, deck no that has a very heavy emphasis on uh, mana denial. He's playing things like... He's playing four Ghost Quarter and um, uh, a bunch of ways of finding Ghost Quarter and playing Ghost Quarters over and over again, such as Knight of the Reliquary, mm-hmm. uh, Ruminap Excavator, which is the new... Um, Crucible of Worlds on a body. <laughs> yep. um, a body that can specifically be hit with uh, Collect Company, um, which is a, a pretty interesting thing. Yeah, there's um, a, lot, also playing... a lot of three-mana guys in this deck that really max the value of your, your Collected Companies. Four Coursers of Crufix, an Eternal Witness, a couple of Finks, four Knights of the Reliquary, two Rami Map Excavators, Tireless Tracker, two Azuzas. Yep. So you're, a lot of times you're getting six mana and two cards out of that collected company and two pretty powerful cards like hitting hitting night of the reliquary and eternal witness and picking up your collected company again is just so much value yes. that i can definitely see why they call this value town <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and you know ruminac excavator like being able to rebuy ghost quarters is just a super strong um synergy that exists here yeah especially um, with with 
decks like Death Shadow having two basics in the deck, it very quickly you run between paths and and ghost quarters. You just run them out, and then they become better swords and strip mine. So yeah, right. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, generally decks aren't playing more than like three basics. I think three is like the top end on modern basics these days, um, unless you're playing just like a monocolor deck or whatever. But oh, valid. Or Valkut, yeah, yeah. A lot of basics there. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, I think this deck is very sweet and definitely like a meta call for sure. Yep. Um, he's definitely gearing towards Grixis Death Shadow, um, Eldrazi Tron, um, uh, and a bunch of stuff like that when he's when he's bringing this deck. So. Yeah, and, and we saw him win some matchups that the deck was not really designed to beat. You know, saw him beat Elves uh, in the top eight, which which seems unwinnable, but he just drew Linvala one game, and the other game the Elves player just kind of missed really hard. Uh, so so the, I think the deck has some, like, huge weaknesses, but if, I mean, it's modern, so you dodge those, and you just are prepared to fight certain decks, and then if you fight those decks, then, yeah, man... Green yeah. guys that give you multiple cards worth of value on coming to play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I can I can definitely see decks that could look at this deck and be like, I can't ever possibly beat this deck, but I can also see decks where, that are just begging to play against something like that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, I think it was probably a good meta choice for this weekend. Um, it ended up working out pretty well. They His team won the tournament, so there we go. Yep. Um, yeah. <laughs> can't beat that. I can't beat that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, uh, you know, modern, I think, is just kind of trucking along like it used to. Um, I think one of the unique things about modern these days is Affinity continues to do well week after week. Yeah. Just kind of breaking the mold of kind of what we're used to with Affinity and modern. Like, Affinity has always been a, been a thing in modern. We know that. But Affinity, I think, in the past has definitely run on this, like, cyclical pattern of... It does really well for a week, then people bring in their hate, mm -hmm. and then you don't see it the next week. And then the week after that, people bring out their hate, and then it's back, and it does really well. Um, but I feel like the past couple of weeks, maybe even for the past like month or two, Affinity just has been dominating all these tournaments. Yeah. Uh, Affinity's doing very well, it feels like, putting a lot of people into the top eight of the Modern Classic. It did well last weekend in the Modern Classic as well. Um, Lucas made top eight with his Affinity deck. So um, that's just kind of an interesting thing to keep an eye on. Yeah, I feel like I just don't see that many Ancient Grudges in these lists. I mean, although, I don't know. Like, now I'm just going through each deck one at a time from, like, the, the Classic. And, boy, they all have Ancient Grudge or Stony Silence or both in their sideboard or our Affinity so, I don't know, man. I, I, maybe Affinity is just sort of overpowering everything. Yeah, uh, um, I, I, yeah, I agree that like you know you, you do see the like the the random um, like if we look at Todd's deck, he's got two Stony Silence in the sideboard and a Kataki, but um, you know it's not a lot of cards, right? And if you don't uh, see them, matchup. then it's probably and yeah, and if you don't see them, Affinity's very fast deck. You're not going to look at many cards. Sure. Um, so you can just get run over. Um, 
we didn't see any affinity in the top eight of the team event, um, but there are two in the top 16, so um, it's, still, it's still there for sure. Yeah, just continues to be very strong, and I I would not fault any, but well, so I, I've, I've seen a weird thing, uh, a kind of strange phenomenon. Uh, I've seen a lot of players uh, pick up affinity without like either newish players or players who just sort of underestimate how difficult the deck is to play. So I, yes, I, it's very hard to play. It, it, I, I think it's one of the hardest decks in, in modern. I mean, Death Shadow also very difficult, but Affinity is not a pick up and play deck. Uh, right, but, right, right. So I would not fault anyone for playing it as, as long as you get in the reps b beforehand, because that, that deck's tough. Yes, yeah, um, definitely. Uh, it's just it. It's one of those decks that uses like a different skill set of magic than people are used to. Yeah. Um, and that skill set being combat math and squeaking in the last couple points of damage um, is like a huge part of Affinity's game. Um, uh, being able to know how to appropriately use Ravager counters and when to go all in on something, or you know. Um, and your opponent has uh, two life totals. And and you have to choose which one you're you're working at. Yeah, being able to like figure out early on which game plan you're on on whether or not you want to infect him out or whether or not you want to um, just kill him with regular damage, and when you need to like you know turn turn the corner on one of those things uh, given the appropriate situation. Yep. It's just it's a strange, very strange deck to play, um, and uh, and you know it's one of those decks that just like feels like you're playing a different game. The magic, and then so. once you once you throw in playing around your opponent's hate cards, there's there's a lot to think about. It, it clearly it yes, can beat yeah. the hate cards that people are running in the quantities that they're running, but but that's a, a layer of difficulty added on. Right, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean that was one of the reasons that I really wanted my teammate Lucas Michaels to be playing Affinity is because he knows that deck yep. like the back of his hand. He, he's very good with that deck. He's played it for a long time. He's demonstrated that he he's just you know he knows what's up. Yep. So he takes um, great lines he's the kind that of I player that I'm very scared to sit down against. Yeah, I'm kind of scared to stand behind him and watch him play because he usually takes <laughs> lines that I literally didn't see because I I have never played Affinity in a real tournament. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I mean I like as as his teammate you know sometimes he'll like kind of look at me or whatever and be like hey. Um, uh, you know what, what's going on here and i just kind of look at the board and i'm like Psh, well i <laughs> i can tell you more about what your opponent's trying to do than than what yeah. we need to be doing here, so um yeah lucas i trust you you, you got this yes. yeah um yeah and he's definitely um you know I've, I've definitely had the same experience that you were just talking about of like you know i'm looking at him play because i'm like i don't know in between games or whatever and he just takes a line that i just never saw in a million years so um it's you know it's one of those weird decks for sure definitely but it's worth well maybe wait for the pt before investing in the deck and like getting real good at it <laughs> modern pro tour is what yeah you're about. i mean who knows how much longer mox opal has yeah more i mean if there's a if they want to shake up things for the PT, banning Mox Opal would be one thing to do, for sure. It certainly would.
Um, but it literally but like, I just don't know if that would accomplish like a, a heavy metagame shift or just eliminating one of the decks. I, from... I think it just kills Affinity and almost nothing else happens because there's too many right. decks in Modern, right? So, yeah. Um, but Affinity is the most popular deck right now, according to um, the statistics that are out online. Yep. So, and it's never not been a part of Modern. So, right, right, yeah, and and it's gone through multiple bannings like early on in the Modern process. So. Yep. Still around, still doing very well. Still has no cards that actually say Affinity on them in the deck. Uh, currently, yeah, I think that's true for sure. You know, Thoughtcast being the one card that sneaks in there every once in a while, yep. given the appropriate metagame. <laughs> um, so, yeah, Modern, you know, not too much crazy stuff. Some some brews popping up, but the format's still, it's still Modern. Uh, I think... This is probably, I think we got enough time if, if we want to talk about Magic Online and you just want to sort of give people a primer on like your approach to it, how you use it as a tool and have succeeded at it. I think that could be a really useful thing and I, I think we got the time for it. Yeah, um, yeah. so Magic Online was actually talking about Magic Online and getting into Magic Online as somebody who kind of hasn't done that before was a request from a friend of mine, uh, Eric Beam. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a local here in Wilmington. Um, and I thought that was a pretty good idea because, you know, a lot of people play a lot of Magic and Paper, but haven't really kind of shifted focus to Magic Online. Um, and I, I think that Magic Online, if you're looking at it from the perspective of, like, testing for real events, nothing comes close to being as good of a tool as Magic Online is in terms of just getting in the number of reps with a particular deck for a particular event. Mm -hmm. um, I think that you know I contribute a lot of myself getting better as a Magic player to playing so much with um, Magic Online and just being able to get in so many reps um, a week with a particular deck or strategy or whatever. Um, so yeah, if you if you're if you're looking to like go and play tournaments and have a lot of experience with the deck that you're playing with, but you can't, you either like don't have the local team to play with or um, just don't have access to like a, a bunch of local players to play with and can't and want to play more than just like your FNM or whatever, definitely recommend checking it out. Um, but so the question along those lines was like, hey, okay, I've decided I want to get into Magic Online. What do I do? Because yeah. <laughs> it, it is kind of its own little world, I guess. And it, um, it doesn't you know, do I, a great job of introducing, you know, you sit down to play Hearthstone and it gives you a little tutorial and then you sort of like, very easily understand how you get cards and how you play right. games in Hearthstone. Yeah. And that's not... But entering into Magic Online is, they just give you kind of nothing. Yeah. They they kind of like almost expect you to already know everything that's going on, <laughs> which is 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 pretty strange. Um, so I, I remember when I first started getting into Magic Online, like, you know, I had to ask so many questions from all of my friends who had already played a little bit on it. Mm -hmm. Like, what's, how how do I go about getting cards, <laughs> you know? Yep. Um, well, and let me tell like, you about bots. And it's just... yeah, let me tell you about bots. Uh, <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, it's uh, it's it's kind of its own world, and and it, it, there's no really good resource, I think, for um, uh, like how to get started on Magic Online. So I think that um, I think that we can definitely go over a few things here now, talking about that. Um, I think so the, where are you at on Magic Online? Like, what's your, like, Magic Online, like, collection and, you know, playing in tournament status right now, I guess? 
Um, okay, so I I play pretty much primarily on Magic Online, except for at tournaments. Um, I go to like local tournaments, um, like maybe once a week. I don't really go to FNM too much. Um, like you know, when I was in Durham, I played uh, you know Thursday Night Modern, and then maybe FNM every once in a while, but. If I really wanted to get testing in, I would play on Magic Online. Sure. And my uh, my paper collection, I don't really have much of a paper collection, but I do have a pretty extensive collection on Magic Online. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's important to note, like that's something to, good to know about Magic Online is that you, if you want to play a lot on Magic Online with the Eternal formats, you're going to need to kind of develop a another collection of Magic cards that are strictly on Magic Online. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so for me personally, I have a collection on Magic Online. Um, I own multiple modern decks on Magic Online. I own pretty much the majority of standard on Magic Online. Um, and, uh, I did put in kind of an initial investment into that, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe even like a couple years ago, um, where I bought a modern deck and then I bought a standard deck. But the rest of my collection for Magic Online has actually just come through playing in leagues or, you know, we used to have dailies or whatever, and just kind of like using the winnings that I got from Magic Online to build up my Magic Online collection. And and I think that that initial investment is really important though, right? Yes, it's important to understand that Magic Online isn't cheap. Um, And, you know, you can get to a certain point where it kind of, Playing on Magic Online uh, is self-sustaining to a certain extent, as long as your win percentage is high enough. Um, like I've gotten to the point where I'm essentially, I've, the the term is go infinite or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I've essentially gone infinite on Magic Online, where um, it, like if I want to buy some new standard cards, I can just like sell some other cards that I haven't played with in a while, or some old standard cards that I know aren't popular anymore or whatever, and just like get the new stuff. Or like. Uh, just accumulating tickets over the course of playing in events and um, uh, getting um, w- the the prizes for events these days are called treasure chests, and you can actually sell treasure chests for tickets. And tickets are the currency of Magic Online that you can use to enter into events and buy Magic cards. So um, as long as you're doing well enough in the events, you'll just find yourself accumulating treasure chests that you can just sell for tickets and then sell for magic cards. And I've been doing that for so long now that I've just kind of like built up my own collection. So, so um, step one really is buy a deck to play constructor yes. with, right? Um, right, and um, I, I think that it's it. You're definitely right in that um, it's important to understand what you want out of Magic Online. Um, if your goal is just to be able to play a bunch of games on Magic Online then you're probably going to need to bankroll that with your own money. Um, but if your goal is to um, like build a collection or whatever and then um, like grind value out of it, you, you're definitely going to need to have that initial investment into um, what format do I know I'm going to want to be playing? I need to f- go ahead and just purchase the deck um, for that format that I know I'm going to be playing a lot of and then after playing a lot with that deck, as long as your win percentage is high enough, you're going to be able to kind of like pay that back over the course of playing in tournaments on Magic Online. Yeah, and uh, I kind of, I, I feel like there's almost two modes when you're playing Magic Online. Are you trying to learn things or are you trying to grind tickets? 
And and right. I mean, like, there yeah. is some overlap, but when I'm trying out blue-red aggro in standard, like, I'm not planning on going for one in a bunch of leagues. I, I'm trying yes, to learn exactly. what's exactly. going on with the yep. deck. But if I just grab, you know, uh, I, I might just grab Tom Ross's latest white weenie or mono red deck or something, play that 75, and after, you know, getting some games in, might feel confident in being able to to play leagues for for plus EV. Right, right, yeah. Um, yeah, but so before we go too far into that, down that rabbit hole, I think that we should probably talk about, um, like, how to go about buying a deck on Magic Online and how to go about um, uh, kind of, like, you know, making that initial investment and how to interact with bots. Because yeah. that was one of the more confusing things that I experienced <laughs> when I first got into Magic Online. Um, so... Uh, you have a couple options if you want to make that initial investment into Magic Online. Um, and the the one that I think that I recommend the most is going through an established um, website that is a vendor for Magic Online cards. Mm -hmm. um, and the one that I use the most is Card Hoarder. Okay. Um, you can go to cardhoarder.com. Uh, not sponsored. I just use them. <laughs> uh, you can go to Card Hoarder and you can, um, just like you're buying normal Magic cards, you can search for your deck and they have a good tool to use for you know accumulating all those cards, putting them in a cart. Um, and then once you've done all that, you can say, hey, I'm going to check out through Magic Online for these Magic Online cards. Um, and then... Once you log into your Magic Online, after you've placed that order through their website, um, you can contact one of their bots, which is just essentially a, a, a user on the Magic Online, say, hey, I've placed this order, um, and they, the bot will then, you've, you've already paid through the website, in theory, um, but you can also select to pay with tickets. Um, which is something that you'll do later after you've, you've accumulated tickets through um, Magic Online. Um, as you can say, hey, uh, and I'm here to pick up my order, and you'll give them the order number, and then they will just kind of deliver the cards to you through a trade. And all of these sites um, will have very specific And the, the trades are the thing that uh, is just how Magic cards get passed along. Um, in uh, it's it's just kind of like the, the tool that people use to to either uh, pass magic cards along between friends or whatever. You can just you know open up a trade and and pass them cards, or it's the tool that you use to purchase cards through what we're calling the bots, um, which are either the the websites that sell cards in mass, or you can just go through the trade system of Magic Online and um, uh, open up a trade with a bot and the bot has essentially just like a full collection in their trade binder and you can select the cards that you want to purchase from them and they will take tickets from your account based on what you've um, you've selected from them uh, but if you're if you're making that initial investment I think that I would definitely recommend going through one of the external websites um, there are a lot of good ones MTT traders is a good one through Cape Fear Games and um, Card Hoarder is a good one. Uh, and, if you're and just kind of cool looking thing, through. One cool thing you can do with MTGO Traders, uh, and you may be able to do it with Card Hoarder, um, but how I bought into Magic Online a while ago is I, I just had a bunch of paper cards, um, sold them to, to Cape Fear, and then asked for Magic Online credit for them. Uh, so just yes. 
turn paper cards into digital cards, basically. Lost a lot of that value when I stopped playing Magic Online for a little while, got distracted by other stuff, and then let my my Jace Vrin's Prodigies and some other Origins stuff rotate out of standard. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that is something that you have to keep up with, just like you have to keep up in your normal collection, is that you 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 now have a collection of Magic cards on Magic Online. So you, like, if, if standard's rotating, you need to keep an eye on that because you have to recognize that your, um, uh, you know, your Trenchal Gear Hulks might be worth a lot right now, but when that card rotates out of standard, they're not going to be worth much anymore. Um, so and you kind of have a... to keep up with that. There, there's that like period of decline, like the six weeks before a set goes out of standard, they get worth less and less and less as you get closer and closer to rotation. Right, right. So the earlier you can do that, the better for the most part, for yep. sure. Um, I actually just went through the other day, yesterday, and um, so for me personally, I, I love standard very much, but I'm not going to be playing in any standard events for a, a while now. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that standard's going to go through a lot of changes that I'm going to keep an eye on, but I'm not going to really participate in too much over the next month or two. So I actually went through my Magic Online collection and I sold a bunch of my standard cards that I knew were either A, rotating out soon, or B, I anticipated not really being a big part of the metagame anymore. Um, so I just went ahead and sold a bunch of the standard stuff. So now I have a, a huge surplus of tickets. Um, but I don't I don't have those like standard cards sitting in my Magic Online account yep. currently. Yeah, um, definitely something that is better to not have to worry about if you're not going to be putting the the time into it actively for a period. Right, for sure. Um, so yeah, there's uh, that's that was definitely one of the um, interesting things about. Um, you know, so the, the whole bot system is very confusing where, uh, so trades is its own tab on Magic Online. So you can go to the trades and then you can search for, um, if you're, if you're looking to just like buy and sell like a couple of magic cards at a time, um, it's good to, uh, use the same bot pretty much consistently throughout all of your little microtransactions. Because something you'll, that you, like everybody knows that in like in standard, for example, or even in modern or whatever, like you're gonna want to pick up some uh, like sideboard cards now and then, or just like new standard stuff comes out and you need to find a, a couple new standard cards or whatever. Um, and an important tip that I would I would know about for for that stuff on Magic Online is that um, you Magic Online operates under this weird system where uh, you can't trade fractions of a ticket um, you'll have the one ticket that you have in your account um, but say you need to just pick up like one sideboard card that's worth a penny um, what ends up happening is that when you go to a bot um, uh, like say you go to a card hoarder bot and say hey I need to get a crook of common condemnation or whatever mm -hmm. for standard because I know that that's going to be a thing moving forward um, uh, you can say, all right, here's this one ticket. Give me two crooks or whatever for however five pennies or whatever that is. And the bot actually keeps track and says, okay, you gave me a whole ticket and I only gave you five cents worth. But now, now you've stored 95 cents worth of credit with mm, this bot in particular. So now the next time you go to that same bot and say, hey, now I need to get some authority of the consoles. Um, then... It can, you know, you can take the authority of the consoles and it just subtracts like whatever it is, the 20 cents or whatever from 
um, your credit that you have with that bot. So because of the way that system works, um, it's important to early on pick a established bot chain that exists on Magic Online and only ever trade with that one bot chain as long as they have what you're looking for. Yeah, you don't um, want to leave a bunch of half tickets scattered among right, different right. bots. Right, so because it's like if every time you're looking for a crook of combination, it's effectively going to cost you a whole ticket because um, you're giving all these other different bots like uh, a full ticket for this card that's only worth a couple pennies, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, so that, that would be a tip that I recommend to anybody who's anticipating maintaining a collection on Magic Online is that you've got to use the same bots um, the bot that I personally use on Magic Online is actually called Goat Bots. Um, I found that I, I really like their prices for buying and selling cards and stuff. So um, whenever I uh, go to a bot to sell treasure chests, um, which is the um, winnings that they give you, I will always go to Goat Bots because I found that their prices are pretty competitive on what they give you for cards. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always sell all of my treasure chests to goat bots. And then because I'm doing that and having that transaction with them, uh, they I always have some sort of like, you know, 0.7 tickets in credit with that person or that bot. Um, so I'll always go back to them when I'm like looking to pick up just like miscellaneous sideboard cards or whatever. Sure. Um, so uh, I think that's definitely a, a tip to know about for... Um, uh, the, the microtransactions that you're doing or whatever on Magic Online. So once we bought a constructed deck, and it's actually kind of a perfect time to buy a standard deck because you can get a great one for for not that much right now, you know. Yeah, um, right now I think like you can get some versions of Pummeler for maybe like 40 tickets. Yeah. Uh, which is pretty crazy. There's a bunch of good aggressive decks that the only outlay of tickets you really have is the Chandra's, so. <laughs> right, yeah, 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 for sure. Which, which are going to be in standard, so... You know, they're just going to be good, so maybe just buy them and then get rid of them. Probably good investment. Them. You're willing to pick that up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so after we bought our mono red deck or whatever we've decided, what, you know, what would you suggest playing? What what events? So uh, far and away, the best value events to be playing with right now in Magic Online are the leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, the five match competitive leagues are. In my mind, kind of the best thing that's happened to Magic Online, yeah, maybe ever, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, for for a multitude of reasons. Um, the price structure for the competitive leagues is very good. Um, if you go, uh, if you if you 5-0 a league, you get sixteen treasure chests, and treasure chests are worth um, about two and a half dollars. Yep. So that's um, effectively like forty dollars or so. Um, or 40 tickets. And you get um, your entry fee back as well. Yeah, for, for going 5-0 in a league. And you get your entry back, free back. And um, uh, if you 4-1, you get like eight treasure chests, which is like $20 plus your um, entry fee. So as long as you... Um, and and then the best part is that if you just 3-2, then you still get your entry fee back plus like $2 or whatever. So as long as you have a winning percentage on Magic Online... Um, it I it's gonna be mostly positive EV to just grind these competitive magic leagues. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you if you feel like you can you're playing a deck that you is very established and you know it very well and you can four one or five zero, 
um, pretty consistently, then all of a sudden you're, you know, you're you're making a bankroll from from that or whatever. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, like getting that five O just feels really good. Like that's a lot of treasure chests. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so yeah, if you're if you're looking to grind Magic Online for value. Um, then the constructed leagues are definitely what you want to be going for. Um, and on, on a similar note, uh, limited on Magic Online is a great testing tool I found. Mm-hmm. But at least personally for me, limited is much harder to have a positive EV um, in. Yeah, and your and win that's... percentage in limited has to be much higher than your win percentage in constructed um, because uh, the entry fee into a limited event is just so much higher than your entry fee into a normal event. Right, because you're, uh, you're either paying for or providing the, the packs that you're using for the event. Right, and you do get to keep the cards, but um, I think everybody knows by now, uh, like opening packs is generally negative value so um, essentially, you are going online and opening your packs to play in this event, and you get to keep the cards, sure, but generally the cards that you're getting out of this are not going to make up for um, what you, would, you what you could have gotten for just like selling those packs or whatever. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, especially with Amonkhet and Hour of Devastation, which just have have pretty low EVs. Although they're great for standard, there's a lot of sweet cards in them and I'm really enjoying the sets. They, they definitely have low EVs on opening the packs, so. Right, right. Um, yeah. Um, and the, the same thing kind of goes with uh, um, treasure chests. Treasure chests is the primary, at least for constructed treasure chests, is the primary um, uh, prize that you get. Um, and you have the option of opening your treasure chests for uh, random cards and or play points. Um, and play points, and play pay points entry fees. Own, yeah. Yeah. Play points, I guess we should talk a little bit about play points for those who don't know. Is, um, you can, when you're entering an event, you have the option of either entering with tickets, which is just the normal currency, or play points, which is something that ha- you have on your account, the a certain number of play points, but you can't, they're not tradable or anything. They just kind of exist on your account. Um, so uh, you can use them to enter an event, so they are worth something, but you can't liquidate them at all ever. Um, uh, so um, when you win an event on, when you say, for example, when you win a, uh, when you like 5-0 a uh, league on a constructed league or something, then you'll get back like more play points than you put into it. It's like 120 play points to enter into an event. If you 5-0, I think you get what is it, 180 or 240 play points or something? I, I think it's um, 180, but I'm, I could just be wrong. I'm not totally remembering. Um, right. So anyways, it's just a, a separate currency that kind of exists as like um, a free rebuy into another event is right. kind of how I, I view them, right? Yeah. Um, so anyways, when you open treasure chests, you can get either like some number of play points or magic cards. Um, but it's very random, and a lot of the times when you're opening your treasure chest, you just get nothing. Um, so if you're looking for value, I think the, the definitely, definitely the best course of action is to sell your treasure chest to a bot for whatever it's worth, 2.6 uh, tickets on Magic Online. Yeah, yeah, almost certainly. 
it's less fun that way, um, but it's it's definitely better value. It is less fun that way, and I know that a, a lot of people that I like, there are a few people on my team that I'm bit testing with who are uh, treasure fiends, <laughs> and uh, as soon as they get any sort of treasure chest, they just immediately open it, and um, and it always makes me cringe a little bit. But <laughs> um, and what what but really? Hey, I mean, if you enjoy that, then go for it. What really? I, I did that for a little while just because it was fun, and I figured I wasn't losing too much EV on it, but it's really brutal because those are the ways that they distribute masterpieces on Magic Online, but the yes. masterpieces on Magic Online are worth almost nothing, so you open one, yeah. and you see, right. ooh, playable masterpiece, but then it's worth four ticks, so yeah, yeah. so that's, that's a bad um, feeling. Yeah, I, and I feel like opening them, like even if you open something that's valuable, um, Generally, when you when you sell a treasure chest, uh, I think like you know the average, like maybe the average price of you opening that card is like something about like two point seven, two point eight um, uh, tickets or whatever. But and and when you sell it, you get a pretty good percentage of that. You get like two point five, two point six mm-hmm. tickets when you're selling um, a treasure chest. But um, if you open your treasure chests and you open like a card that you want to sell and you sell the card to a bot, then I found that the percentages that you get off of um, selling that card to the bot is uh, is less than the percentage you, you would get just by selling the actual treasure chest itself. Right. So maybe like, you know, if we, if we looked at the percentages of like, you know, the, the treasure chest is worth the 2.8 tickets for a reason, right? You know, because on average, economically that's how much you're opening in value over the course of opening all of them or whatever um but uh in my experience i think that you just get a better rate on average for selling the cards that you uh open just by selling the treasure chest itself instead of going through the extra process of opening the opening your treasure chest and then selling whatever you happen to get from that and i think that's pretty much the consensus is if you're looking for value you should sell the treasure chests yeah yeah for sure um so, you know, but it, you know, it does feel good when you open that treasure chest and you get a Rashad port that's worth 200 tickets or whatever, you don't, know, so. Don't say that because it, it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I definitely don't recommend opening your treasure chests for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, yeah. you know, this is probably a, a topic for a, a later episode Um where we can talk about sort of the premier events on Magic Online. Um, you know, there's several ways to, to queue for the Pro Tour if that's what you're trying to do. Um, there's yeah. there, there's big events that, that you can win, like, relatively large prizes from. Um, they're not... I, I mean, I don't know how much you play in those or if you think that they're a legitimate part of just, like, grinding and practicing on Magic Online or what, but they do exist. Um, they they do exist and I do play in them whenever I get the chance. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, like I played in a lot of the PTQs um, stuff like that. Uh, they are excellent for. Um, I think that they are generally very high value events if you uh, in that format. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the, the limited ones are definitely like the highest value limited events that you can play in. Sure. Um, and constructed ones are definitely also very high value. If you anticipate being able to top 32, you can still, like even just a top 32 is still, you know, a significant number of uh, packs or treasure chests or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if, um, 
but the, the the only downside for these events in, in my experience is um, it's just much more of a time investment. Yeah. Um, the format of you playing in these tournaments is uh, similar to a live magic tournament where you play your round and then you have to wait for everybody else in the tournament to finish before you can start up your next round. So you can't, like, when you're playing in leagues, you are queuing up as matches as fast as you're finishing them, right? Or you slow. Queue up you, one. Can go, you can go to dinner or, or wait a day before playing your next match if you want. Right, and yeah, and you're, you're under no obligation to, you know, stay through finishing your entire league. You yep. can, you, can, you know, I, I currently have a league at, I'm, I'm picking like 2-1 or something with um, Valakut right now in a league. Um, and I'm just, you know, sitting here recording a podcast and I'm, I don't have to worry about, you know, finishing that league out on yep. time. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, I actually, the, the PTQ on last Friday, it started at noon and I was just at work at noon. So I pulled out my laptop, played my first couple of rounds at work started driving home realized i wasn't gonna make it had to pull over at a starbucks and play around and then drive the rest of my way home so <laughs> so yeah right so so it's just you know less convenient to play in the in the actual events and you kind of whenever i sit down to play in either a, a mox event or a ptq event or something you kind of have to dedicate your entire day to that yeah uh, almost it's, it's really these, just like these tournaments can tournament. be very long yeah yep um so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think that they are definitely high value, um, but just kind of less convenient than um, uh, the leagues. Um, and I think that, that goes a lot along the lines of me saying earlier that uh, the Magic Online competitive leagues is like the best thing that's happened to Magic Online. Yeah. Uh, it's just the, the convenience that you are allowed to test at now is just so high. Um, and and one, one thing that I will definitely say... Um, so consistently going 3-2 in a competitive league is a little bit harder than it sounds. Uh, the The quality of play in these leagues is pretty high, and so like going 4-1 or 5-0 in one of those leagues like really probably takes a similar amount of effort and play skill as going 4-1 or 5-0 in you know an open or a, a GP or something like that. Like this is pretty high level play, and, and your opponents generally you know there's there's always people who are new or don't have the latest technology or whatever, but generally most of your opponents are going to have a good idea of what they're doing. Yes. the uh, I would say that the average Magic player on Magic Online is significantly better than your average mm, player. Yeah, at, at FNM or something, sure. Yeah, well, I mean, definitely significantly better than your average FNM player, but um, uh, maybe even better than, like, uh, your average player at an open yeah, um, I would say is like you know people that are playing consistently on Magic Online are they're good, you know they 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 are they're getting a lot of reps. Yep. So it it, um, it generally feels like like day two gameplay is is how I feel. Like if I'm going online and playing, I'm expecting my opponents to show up usually. Yes, for sure. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, it's it's very rare that you play a kind of a pushover opponent on on Magic Online. <laughs> um, which uh, is great for testing purposes because you know you're playing against solid players. But in terms of like getting your value out of stuff, um, it does make it a little harder. Yes, uh, it's it's not easy. And if you're if you're newer to Magic in general, I would anticipate, you know, don't don't go into this expecting that you're going to be able to make money from it. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. So, um, 
yeah, going uh, going four one or five zero in a Magic Online league is uh, difficult. Yeah, the, I mean, there's a reason there's good prizes for it. It's not it's not an easy thing to do. Right. Um, yeah, and uh, as along those lines, um, so yeah, I want to talk about I guess that and um, uh, I think we touched on this a little bit earlier before we went off into buying a collection on Magic Online mm-hmm. of. Um, uh, kind of understanding what you're trying to get out of Magic Online testing. Sure. Um, there's some day, there's some periods of time where I know that I'm testing a deck that I'm very comfortable with, and I'm just trying to like fine tune everything, and I expect to go four one in a league. And I've definitely gone through periods of time where, like last season, I was playing a lot of. Um, black green energy on magic online mm-hmm. and i i would either five one five oh or four one pretty much every league that i played with that deck because uh, i was just so experienced with that deck and i knew exactly what i was trying to do um and I, I kind of like expected to do well or whatever and and when i was doing that i was mostly doing that to not test as much but just kind of like you know build up my magic online collection yeah um but for example when um the new set came out on Magic online and i was testing a bunch of new stuff um, I went two, three, or one, four in a lot of leagues mm-hmm. because uh, the stuff that I was playing was very new and risky, and and I uh, and some people like to play in like the um, uh, the friendly leagues or whatever on Magic Online, which is probably smart if you if you're worried about losing a lot of value on these things. But right. um, I tend to like to test in the competitive. Anyways, even if I'm playing with a deck that I'm not sure about, or it might just be kind of like a, a silly deck that's not worth anything. Um, but yeah, like at the beginning of last season when I was testing with uh, Team Lotus Box, I was playing things like Mill and just kind of these off the wall brewery decks just to kind of see what, like test the waters a little bit for um, uh, for for the new standard. And I was definitely losing a lot of value just in terms of like entry fee on events that I knew that I was going to scrub out on. Um, and because of that, I, I, I was comfortable doing that just because I had the bankroll that I have on Magic Online to um, be able to do that. Um, so, so, right, that can be the case. Or you can just kind of like run into some bad variants um, on Magic Online and, and, and just lose a bunch and just like two, three, a bunch of leagues in a row or something. Um, you know, and maybe all of your matches were close, but you just like weren't quite getting there. Um, so it's important to note that that can definitely, uh, happen sometimes and it's good to be prepared for that. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if the thing you're trying to get out of it is experience and learning something and and you lose some matches, even though you didn't get your, your ticks back, you know, you got what you were looking for, which is figuring out what, you know, what are the weaknesses of the deck or what are the mistakes that you're making here? And I, I think understanding exactly your goal as you load up magic online for the day is pretty important to to being realistic about what's happening um and kind of coupled with that is uh just some some kind of silly personal advice um when i do badly in a league whether it's drafting or a constructed league or whatever um my initial instinct is like I just want to load it back up and and run it back and do better this time because that that doesn't reflect my abilities as a player. There's no way I should have one of one four or two three that league, but uh, usually that ends up going badly for me because I'm like not 
I'm not about to start playing this league for the right reasons. I'm not focused. I'm not calm. Uh, so I, I personally need to walk away for a little bit after I get some bad beats. Uh, you know, pe different people have different attitudes, but I would encourage people to try taking a break after a, after a bad league. Uh, and I think your results will improve. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's just a true statement about magic in general is that, um, sometimes you're just not in a good headspace to be making the correct decisions. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, and I think that, you know, uh, that can be due to a lot of factors, either because you're frustrated about losing to some variants, or um, you know maybe you haven't eaten enough that day, or <laughs> a bunch of other stuff. But uh, yeah, I think that just kind of like being in the right headspace when playing Magic makes a huge difference. Um, and uh, like there are some days when I'm playing a bunch of leagues on Magic Online where uh, like I'm losing a bunch, and then my head starts hurting, and I'm like, what is going on, or whatever. Um, that sometimes I just need to like stop and take a breather and get some food and all this stuff before, uh, you know, before continuing to play. Yeah. So, um, because yeah, I mean, you know, I, I consider myself a pretty good magic player, but, uh, there are definitely times I'm playing and I'm just punting left and right and I just don't know what's going on. Um, so yeah, it's definitely important to recognize when you're kind of like in that headspace and just be able to, take a rebreather and focus on something else and then come back to it later. Yep. Yep. Especially, it's just so easy to keep throwing value into the next queue. Uh, you yeah. just click a yeah. button and you've done it. So. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and especially like, I guess that is like a, a magic online unique thing where, um, you know, it takes a lot of effort to, you know, enter into a tournament in, in real life magic and, you know, play it out. Like, even if it's just, like, you know, your local tournament on Thursday night at your local shop or whatever, um, uh, you know, you, you have to be, like, you know, putting a lot of effort into going through with that tournament. But when you're playing on Magic Online, you can just just kind of sit there and, and do it, you know, <laughs> just moving, moving the buttons around. Yeah, so definitely um, be careful with that. Right, yeah. And, and, and it is important to consider that, you know, it is real money that you're spending... Uh, when you whenever you enter into a league, um, so you, you just have to make sure that you keep that in mind and don't just like you know spew a bunch of stuff um, <laughs> or whatever. And if you do that once or twice, I mean we've all been there. But oh, for sure, learn yeah. from it. No. I, I say this, but I, I you know I, I definitely do it <laughs> at least you know a couple times a week. So um. <laughs> that's probably a little more often than I do it, but at least at least a couple of times a season certainly. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Cool. But, well, I, um, I think that's a good intro. I mean, Magic Online is a, a great tool. It's daunting to get into, but, I mean, that, that basic formula of, like, invest in a constructed deck, don't be afraid to spend, give that initial upfront cost, and then play, mm -hmm. play these constructed leagues, um, and then maybe some of the bigger tournaments when you get a chance. Like, I think that's a formula for success. It's certainly a formula for getting better with that deck that you're playing. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, if, you're, if your objective is to, like, say, hey, I really want to get better at Modern with this deck in particular, um, I, I think it's just definitely worth the investment of just picking that deck up on Magic Online. It'll yep. be cheaper than it would be in paper. Um, and then just playing in, in queues on Leagues. Um, Realistically, and, the, the modern deck is still going to probably cost you around $600 online, though. So, 
it's, yeah, it's I definitely mean, i would say three to six maybe yeah. um depending on the modern deck um uh but um yeah i i think that um it's probably definitely a good investment if you're if you're looking to you know get into it right yeah i mean if you're if you're serious about it there it's it's just a tool that you need to have and you can't you can't be at the disadvantage of not being able to jam, jam games with this deck on Magic Online. Right, right, for sure. Cool. Well, I think that's all we wanted to go over today. Um, you got anything else? Um, yeah, I think that covers it for now. Cool. Um, uh, I think moving forward, uh, I've got uh, definitely a lot of modern stuff to, uh, to prepare for. So um, for future episodes, keep an eye out for modern. I think that's probably going to be a big part of the discussion. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm, I'm sure next episode we're going to be covering uh, what happened this weekend at the Pro Tour. I'm very right. excited about seeing that, um, both in the limited context and the constructed context. Are I think that your... one of my favorite things to see from Pro Tours is actually to see kind of draft strategies employed by a lot of the pros. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty pumped to see if Blue-Red is as good as I continue to think it is. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh and and you know just the wild wild west of standard right now um sure. very excited to see kind of what happens um is anybody on your team uh queued for the pt or are yeah they all... we've got we've got multiple people going cool. um Stein, uh christopher mccord dylan donegan are all in japan right now awesome um yeah so we've been helping them out preparing for stuff so um should be fun cool well, good luck to them, and yeah, hopefully we see them on camera this weekend. Let's do it. All right. Signing off, uh, Chris Castor-Apple, Collins Mullen. Thanks for All listening. All right.